as we transition to God's word here, I'm going to be I'm starting a new sermon series here today, just a brief sermon series over the next four weeks, walking through who is Grace Community Church. Because of uh, the various growth that we've had, newer people coming to Grace, it's really important that we all know who, who we're, what we're about, who we are, and where we're going. This is a great opportunity for us to, uh, together, in a, in a large way, explore this through God's Word. We do have a class that will be coming up here in, in a few weeks in the month of October called Intro to Grace. And that's an opportunity if you want to go deeper in, in learning more about Grace Community Church to come join us at that time. So be looking forward to that. But today we're kicking off this series entitled, Who is Grace? I'm going to be in Philippians chapter 3 today. If you want to turn there in your Bible or Bible app and follow along. But as I kick things off with our sermon here this morning. I'm going to need some help from a, some individuals, some young people here who, who know how to shoot, who know how to shoot guns. Have I got anybody in the house who knows, who's, who's, who's handy with a gun? We got, we got a couple older kids. How about Blake? And how about in, in the back? One. You guys flip a coin. Choose one. Come on up here. I, I need a couple people who know how to shoot some some guns up here. So I don't I don't know if you if you if you uh, if you've worked with a gun before. Um, I don't know if you know this, but but where you aim matters, right? It's an important thing because you never know who might be in the line of sight, right? There can cause some serious damage if you don't know where you're aiming or watch where you're aiming. Aiming matters. Do you guys know what that is on the screen up there? That's a target. All right, what are you supposed to do with that? You want to shoot it towards not just anywhere. You're just, you want to shoot in the middle. You have to shoot in the middle. Do you guys think you can? Are you sure? Are you you sure? Whoa, okay. So do you think you can hit from behind the communion table there? You guys think you can hit that target? All right, so this is a special gun. I had to learn this from my son. There's a separate trigger here to get the motor going. These are motorized. Watch out. And then, and then, and then there's the trigger. So I want you guys, okay, so you, you see, you hit that and uh, gets it going. Okay, and then you just hit the trigger, right. And so, all right, so where are you guys, are you guys aiming at the crowd? No. You, that was kind of like, I want to. No. All right. We're, okay. So we're, okay. All right. Why don't you guys go on the other side of that and let's see. Let's see how this works here. Yeah. Aiming at the target. All right. Ooh. Okay. We got the sights in. Anytime. Any. You, you could, oh. Nice. Ooh. Hey. All right, guys. Thank you so much. That's awesome. Woo. As as you see here. Where, where, where you aim does matter. And of course, if these were re- real guns, they're not. Thank God. Um, there, there's, there's great consequences. There's great consequences when our aim is off, right? Proverbs uh, is in the middle of our Bibles here. It's a book of wisdom. And, and in the book of Proverbs, it says this. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law of the Lord. 
This is the ESV version, uh, which I do most of my studying in. And the CSB is what's, uh, what's uh, under your, your chairs there. It says, without revelation, people run wild. But one who follows divine instruction will be happy. What this verse is, is, is explaining, this whole word of prophetic vision or, or revelation, it's meaning without being led by God and, 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 and his wisdom and his direction, without, without God leading us from his word, we're going to run wild. We're going to all do our own thing, ultimately. We're going to go our own way. But there's blessing when we align ourselves with God's way. When we come under God's way, we want to be led by the Lord. We want to be led by the word of the Lord. Not just any whim, not just our gut, not good vibes, whatever we feel. It's not us because that's the problem, being led by ourselves. There's consequences. So, so the bullseye that we aim our lives towards, and as a church, what a church should aim towards, should be led by the scriptures. Should, is there's a biblical bullseye, and that's what we're going to unpack today. Because if we don't follow God's way, the consequences are significant when he isn't our aim. Our aim isn't guided by him. So why don't you... Uh, Turn with me, if you haven't already done so, to Philippians. And let's read there. The words will be on the screen here as well. In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord to write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, who boast in Jesus Christ, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, regarding the law, I was a Pharisee. Regarding zeal, persecuting the church. Regarding the righteousness that is the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them dung so that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God and based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death and assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Let's pray with me here as we unpack the word of the Lord here. Jesus, we ask for for your guiding and your leading. As we've talked, we don't want to merely be led by ourselves. We don't want to aim our lives based on uh, our own uh, desires, intuition, wisdom, or ways, but we want to be led by you, Jesus. In fact, we hear in these words from Paul, the, 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 the target is you, Jesus. 
We need you, Spirit, to, to, to do a work in our hearts, to realign us. And for some of us, that's a revolution that happens this morning where life is dramatically changed from being about us to being about you and finding freedom and life and joy because we have you, Jesus. More, moreover, you have us. Lead us this morning, Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. As we jump into this passage here, we're like jumping in the middle of like a TV series, like right in the middle of the season. And you're like, you don't know uh, what's happened necessarily before. And there's, there's parts that are being played and conversations that have context and history. And so it's important for us to understand a little bit of what's going on uh, here in the context in Paul's conversation. As he's addressing here in this moment that, that, that false churches are human centered. He's writing to a group of followers of Jesus who are in a hard situation, in a hard place, in a hard time where they're receiving persecution for being followers of Jesus. They're under a lot of pressure. The pressure is from uh, the Roman Empire who's telling them that that if you follow Jesus, if you claim that Jesus is king and not Caesar, that you're going to lose your job. Uh, You're not going to be sold back groceries in the market can you imagine go to the grocery store and 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 being checked like so are you a jesus follower oh sorry not here they're under pressure externally from the roman empire but they were also under pressure from a group of people who thought that they were followers of jesus but they distorted the work of jesus christ they distorted what we call the gospel the gospel is the good news these were this group of people called judaizers They were Jews who wanted to add to the work of Jesus. You still had to remain a Jew and follow all the Jewish things and follow Jesus at the same time. And so Paul, right off the bat, he's confronting them in verses 2 through 6 about this distortion of the good news of the gospel. He says, look out for these dogs, look out for these evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. We are the circumcision. All right, what, what's going on here? Uh, um, what he's talking about is these people, as I mentioned before, they don't just believe in Jesus, but they believe in Jesus plus. You've got you've to jump through these hoops. You've got to follow all these rituals, including the practice of what's called circumcision. Circumcision might be something that many of us are aware of today that's just kind of this medical procedure. But this, for the Jews, was a spiritual thing. And if you were not circumcised, you were not saved. You were not part of God's people. You are not part of his family. You could have Jesus in your life, but if you don't have circumcision, specifically the men, you're not saved. You're not part of Jesus' family. This was in addition to a lot of other Jewish rituals that you had to follow. This was a Jesus plus is kind of what we call this. Really what this does is this puts uh, a salvation, this puts the emphasis on you and me. It's on what you do. Yeah, Jesus is good and all, but if you don't do these things, you're not saved. You're not in. You're not part of the family. You're not enough. 
Paul goes through here and, and, and explains by his own personal life how absurd this is. He, he was the perfect Jew, following all the rituals and everything. And where did it lead him? It bat, down in verse 6, it says, He was so zealous, he ended up persecuting Jesus' church. You see, when we become so human-centered in such a way that, 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 the, that following Jesus is all about me, and it's about what I do, it's about you've got to dress a certain way, you've got to do a certain amount of things, and, and, and all other knockoffs of the gospel ultimately come down to it's about you, it's up to you to save yourself. Do you kind of hear how that's a problem? That's a lot of weight. There's a lot of, a lot of guilt and shame that still kind of comes from that uh, on you. And what does Paul say? This led me to actually opposing Jesus. Me following this route of, 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 of ritual, what we would call religion, versus a relationship with Jesus Christ, leads us to actually becoming an enemy of Jesus. We get in God's way. Paul goes so far as to use some pretty explicit kind of language that he considers all these things of religiosity, uh, of, of Jesus plus, adding anything that's, that's about what I do, he calls it dung, all right? Feces, a fresh, hot, steamy pile He uses this imagery intentionally. The, the, bear with me. This may be uh, uh, not necessarily what we might consider appropriate, but Paul's going here for, to, uh, to, to, to create a certain kind of image for you and I. When we make it about us, when we make Jesus and distort the work of Jesus and make it about us, it is as repulsive as a fresh, stinky, steamy pile of feces poop. We all know what that's like. God bless my dog. I love my dog, Nacho. Love him. And he's had some GI issues. We're just going to leave it there. Anyways, I got some on my hands. And you know that immediate response when you smell that? Is, you know, it's, it's that gag response, right? This is what Paul's trying to invoke in us. Like, there's a repulsiveness of this. It's important that we understand this. Because we are, we are geared, our very natures are wired in such a way to make all things about us, about me, including the work of Jesus Christ. And it is so worthless, in fact, repulsive. It's the very thing that is the problem we need to be saved from. Paul changes this tune and points us to a different way. We glory in Jesus Christ. We who are the true worshipers of Jesus, we glory in Jesus Christ. Today, what does this look like, these knockoffs? I just want to name a few examples, just so you know what we are not, a biblical church, and those that are being led astray. 
One of those characteristics is that, is that of works righteousness. All right. So, so back in the day, this was these Judaizers. If you follow the Jewish rituals, then you're good enough. You're in. You're part of the family. Today we can do that by, the, by, by different ways that we emphasize you've got to clean your life up. You, 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 you've got to, to be, uh, 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 say the right things. Your, your language has got to get cleaned up. Your, your, your life has got, you got to be morally cleaned up. You, you need to be a, a regular attender at church. And you've got to be regularly reading your Bible and praying. And, and it's about the doing that makes you good enough. And, and then Jesus will accept you. If you do enough, Jesus will accept you. God will accept you. And it's en- enough. That's a lie, friends. That's a yoke. That's, that, that, that is a burden that will drive us not just into exhaustion and shame, but it will drive us to hell. We cannot save ourselves. That's the reason why Jesus came. We can't save ourselves. There's nothing in us. And that's why it's the good news that Jesus came. He paid it all. He didn't pay it some, amen? He paid it all. Another expression of this human-centered kind of church is is, uh, 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 expressed by this term, moral therapeutic deism. You're like, what in the world did that, what's going on here? Well, that means moral is about uh, uh, behavior change. Therapeutic is about feeling, being better, getting better. Deism is a term for God. So God exists to make, make you do better or make you feel better. Churches that are, 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 are oriented this way will, will only give you, here's these three steps to a better life. Better marriage. Better, better parenting, management of your time. Jesus exists to make you better, to make you feel better. The problem is, is it still focuses on, it's about what you do. And that Jesus is here to serve you. Jesus changes us, amen? But Jesus changes us by fundamentally reorienting our life in this brokenness called sin and making and changing us from being me-centered to being Jesus-centered, being Him-centered for His glory, not for me. That's what changes us. That's what radically gives us joy in life. It's when it's not about us. When we deal with our sin, the problem isn't just, I need to do better. I'm I'm dead, and I need to be raised to life. Another expression of this is what we call the social gospel. You've heard a lot about social justice in in the last several years, especially. God is a God of justice, but these churches focus on social justice to the degree that salvation is 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 not, there is no heaven. Salvation is when you set the captives free, when, when you fo- focus on removing oppression and, uh, and, and uh, the, work, the work of Jesus leads us towards addressing issues of injustice. But that is not salvation. That is not the ultimate work. If people, if, if poor are, are, are raised up, 
if racism is removed, but people don't know Jesus, they're still going to hell. It's a false gospel. It doesn't address the issue. The work of Jesus, though, will address this as an outworking. It's not the gospel, though. It's not the sinner. It's not what we aim for. It's a result. Finally, prosperity gospel. This prosperity gospel is a belief system. If you just have enough faith, Jesus will change, change your circumstances. God doesn't, God doesn't want you to have sickness. You're not supposed to have sickness. You're not supposed to be poor. You're not supposed to have troubles in this life. And so therefore, if you have enough faith, God will make you rich and give you that Cadillac, that Rolex. It'll change everything. Your financial situation will be better. God exists to change your financial, physical circumstances. This is very popular and increasing. Does Jesus improve your circumstances? Yes. Does he always? No. Jesus went to the cross. The word of God says, those of you, you share in the inheritance of Jesus if you will share in the crucifixion of Jesus. The mark of believers isn't their prosperity, it's their joy in crucifixion in this life. Because we know this isn't our home. We're not building homes here. Our home, it's coming. Jesus has secured hope for us. Does God provide in in miraculous ways financially? Yes. Does God provide healing? Yes. But does he do that always at all times? No, because in his wisdom, he's using the trials and the suffering and the difficulties. He's working within that. Because this is a broken world. Finally, other churches, this is a, a more recent issue, is they're revising the gospel. What I mean by this, in terms of revising, they're changing it in terms of Jesus exists, his freedom, the work that he accomplishes is so that that he frees you from guilt and shame for you to be you. The truth for you to live out whatever truth you want to believe. He comes to set you free from any kind of, uh, 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 of, of rules and morality, for you to live however you want, you to define your, yourself, your gender, your sexuality, uh, uh, your lifestyle. You do whatever you want. He gives you the freedom to live however you want to live and define truth however you want. That's just enslaving us to the very problem that we have. That's, how, that's our fundamental bent is we want to do whatever we want. We want to live however we want. We want to be king. Once again, Jesus is not the center. Jesus is just a means to our ends. That's an impotent religion. Powerless, worthless. And as Paul says, it's repulsive. So what does it look like? What what, what are we striving to look like here at Grace Community Church? As I mentioned in verse 3, Paul talks about we, the true church, we worship by the Spirit of God, we glory in Jesus Christ. God's true churches are Christ-centered. We're all about Jesus. You notice, if you have our bulletin or, or, or you see on our website uh, or, or our Facebook page, our, our, our mission is to know Christ, to become like Him, to make Him known. We're all about Jesus. Paul gives us the example from his own very own life. 
He says, I consider everything lost for the sake of Christ. I can't consider uh, everything, even rubbish, dung, for, to, to suffer for Christ, to gain Christ, to be found in him. Not having my righteousness, having his righteousness. I want to know him, his resurrection, his sufferings, his death. You can hear it. It's a drum and it's beating and it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The extent to which we have any relevance, we have any power, we have any meaning and purpose. There's any joy. It's because we're about Jesus. Amen. He's worth it. Paul explains later in a letter to a different church named uh, 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 the Colossians. Uh, And check this out, what he says about Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. Do you hear just the beauty, the glory of who Jesus is that Paul's declaring? It should lead our hearts to worship. He's not just a good guy. He's God. The one who who formed all things, the very physical laws, the laws of physics, we might call, you know, Newtonian laws, Newton's first or second law, thermodynamics, all these things, even the laws that sustain things, he upholds them. He's the designer of this God. He also made you. He's the head of this, the church. He didn't just make us. He made us for himself. He made us that we only find and know our true purpose. We only find and know our true joy in him. In college, the ministry that I was a part of had some wonky songs. And one of them was, Life without Jesus is like a donut, is like a donut, like a donut. Life without Jesus is like a donut. There's a hole in the middle of your heart. Deep stuff, right? Yeah, that was college. We were getting deep. God had mercy on us and things changed in the years to come. But, uh, but we're not complete without Jesus. We were made for him. We were made to live for him. We will never fully understand and appreciate who we are and our purpose, our joy without him. He is first place. Did you get that? Not second place. When you get married and you make those vows to love each other, to forsake all things for each other, you don't say, you know, would it be okay if, uh, you know, a couple nights a year that I, you know, I sleep with a former girlfriend or have a couple nights with my former boyfriend. That's absurd, right? That's just absolutely gross and absurd. We have the temptation to kind of do that with Jesus. He's first place. The relationship with him is a marriage. 
is a marriage relationship. It's a covenant. It's a commitment. He alone. Psalm 115 says this. We sung it earlier. Not to us, O Lord. Not to us, but to your name give glory. Because of your faithful love. Because of your truth. You see, when we are aligned with Jesus, our purpose, everything else becomes more clear. Our purpose becomes clear in this life. Our jobs, our jobs aren't ends that we live for. It's, it's Jesus that we live for. And our job is a means for us to worship Jesus. It's not about material possessions and us accumulating a lifestyle of comfort and ease. Our possessions, even they are a means to an end. They will never fully satisfy us. They don't give us purpose and meaning. Our marriages, our relationships, our friendships, our mental health. None of these things in and of themselves are sufficient for our reason of existence and our joy. Jesus gives us that. And these things are a means through which I'm able to love my, we experience and express that Jesus rightly organizes all things. I'm able to love my wife, love my spouse. I'm able to love my neighbor. I'm able to to appropriate my understanding of work. Even when work is hard and under uh, harsh circumstances or a bad boss, or I'm able to understand my my role and my circumstances. I'm able to see clearly and know how to relate. I have power to work in an environment that's harsh because I'm not looking for that environment to give me something because I've already got it because I've got Jesus. Is this making sense? You see, when I'm satisfied with him, when, when, when he's working in me, I can love because I'm responding to love. Do you, do you see that in this verse? Because of your faithful love. This is the gospel. The good news is that you see, when we look to Jesus, he's the one that starts the engine in our hearts and our lives. We see his glory as our creator and the one who loves us. And he came and he stuck Stood him, took him, put himself in our sin, took hell in our place, and he gives us his righteousness. We are enough because of him. He loves us. We respond to that unconditional love. You see, our lives change. Our morality, our language cleans up. Our, our, the lying cleans up. Uh, the, the lust cl- gets cleaned up in our lives. The, 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 the work ethic gets cleaned up in our lives. The, 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 the bitterness, the gossip, the, the, the reacting emotion, all these things begin to get cleaned up in response to him. Not to get something from him. It's because we've received such a gift. We want to change. The gospel isn't doing things to get love from God. It's because of his ridiculous that love at the expense of Jesus, we obey. There's a difference. Do you hear that? We need a revolution in our hearts. He did, Jesus didn't, didn't come just to make bad people better. He came to make dead people alive. This is a miracle. And we need that miracle. The uh, 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 illustration I like to use to describe this miracle is um, a, a, a paradigm shift that happened in the 1500s. There's a lot that happened in the 1500s. A lot of great time of history to just read about. There's massive paradigm shift happening in Europe at that time. One of the things that was happening was what was called a Copernican revolution. This gentleman named Copernicus brought about 
this, this, this crazy idea that the earth revolves around the sun. The sun doesn't revolve around the earth. Can you imagine how radical this is? This is crazy, crazy talk. It was back then. In fact, people died proclaiming these facts. And even, even the church at times was killing people and imprisoning people for promoting such lies that the sun and the planets, the moon, like it all revolves around the earth. We know, what, what does our galaxy revolve around? What does our solar system revolve around? What does it revolve around? The sun. This is radical. This is a huge shift to the extent that it was called a revolution. You and I, we must have this revolution in our souls. You see, the world doesn't exist. God doesn't exist. Jesus doesn't exist to revolve around you. You were made to revolve around him, to live for his glory. This is, as Martin Luther led, the revolution called the Reformation. We need this in our souls, friends. Has Jesus done this work in you? Because there is your Savior. God, God's glory is our good. This is a, a, a unique thing, a kind of a deep thing. God is the only being because he's pure and he's perfect. He's the only being for which he can be self-centered and it means that he is loving. You and I can't do that. You read through scripture and it says, for his namesake, for his glory, for his honor, he did these things. Even our salvation. Check out Psalm 106 here. He, he saved them for his namesake to make his power known. This is really interesting. Did you notice that? He saves us for, for his own glory. Check out this uh, Matt Chandler quote. The context of the gospel message is not our benefit or our salvation. The context of the gospel is the supremacy of Christ and the glory of God. This takes us a whole lot deeper in understanding the significance of why being reoriented to relationship with Jesus Christ. God is the only being in which, because he's so pure, so perfect, that being self-centered, because he is the definition of love. To be self-centered is to be loving. We need, we need him. We need to be brought back to him. We need to live for his glory because his glory means our good. Him being first means our good. And as a result, this has implications for God's people. What does this mean as God's people gathered together, not just individuals, but we exist for him. We will make much of him. We will make everything about him. Not secondary things of, of, of Christianity and spirituality. We're not going to make secondary things the main things. We're going to keep Jesus the main thing. And that's how we will be healthy, biblical. Check out this verse from Peter as he explains, this is what the church is. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Isn't that God good? 
Why do we exist? We exist to proclaim Jesus. We exist to do that with our lives, with our mouths, with everything. We exist for him. Once again, this doesn't mean all of a sudden we all got to become monks. All right? We all got to go hide somewhere in some cloistered living facility and just give up, you know, our, our daily life. No, this, is, this just transforms our daily lives. It just reorganizes things into the right order. As a result, the aim of grace, as I mentioned before, the vision of grace is that we glorify God through knowing Christ, becoming like Christ, making Christ known. We will be all about Jesus. Friends, this isn't just something I say. This is something we do together. We champion together. This is what sets us apart from the world and from any other knockoffs. Christ first. I want to quickly just run through what Paul explains here. What are the characteristics? What does it look like when we are Christ first? Real quick. When we forsake all things for Christ. It means we're we're moving other things in our life around for Jesus. Are we moving our lives? Are we moving Jesus around so he fits into our life? Or or are we cherishing him when he's the most significant thing? Lord, I need you. I'm desperate for you. I I need communion with you. It's not because uh, we're being uh, watched in terms of are you praying and are you in the word and, and are you coming to church? And that's not the issue. The issue is, are you in relationship with Jesus? When, when, when we're married to him, then we move all other things around. And all of my relationships in my personal life should be moved around. So Jane is my priority. Same thing with Jesus in our lives. Are we forsaking all things? That's what Paul said. I forsake all things. I suffered the loss of all things. So I can have Jesus. We keep Jesus the main thing then. We don't let secondary things become, there's a lot of theological things I won't go into. I just want to say, we're not going to let secondary things become the main thing here at Grace. We pursue a relationship with Christ, not a religion. Paul talks about here, I want to know Christ. Christ is a person. He wants you to know him. He wants you to be known. This is a personal relationship. And, and, and this is what makes a difference. Therefore, we rely on the righteousness of Christ. You see, he wants to give you his love. He wants to give you fullness, purpose, and hope. You see, we will live in response to him. That's a radical change in our days, and our lives. We look to him on the cross. We see him suffering for us. He eternally carries the marks of the cross and bears the suffering. Even when we're in heaven with him, he will continue to bear the suffering in our place. We look to him. We don't have to be good enough. But in fact, his love causes us to want to change rather than I have to change out of a sense of insecurity. No, his love radically actually changes us. Changes our marriage. Changes our mental health and our identity. Changes Everything. Joy and suffering. Now, 
And we live out of a power from Christ's resurrection because Jesus lives in us. Once again, Christianity isn't about you got to try harder. Okay, I saved you now. Now, pull up your bootstraps, get to work. No, Jesus wants to do the work in us. We're partnering, we're responding to Jesus doing the work in us. We, in our prayer lives, we need, we need to be calling out to the Lord. Hey, Lord, help me as I deal with my anxiety. Lord, help me. I need your strength, your power. Lord, in this relationship, help me, Lord, so I don't react. This addiction, the struggles, Lord, you are the power. God gives us power, his power. We depend on that. On Jesus. And finally, we have hope for heaven as we share in Christ's sufferings. Check out this quote from John Piper as we're bringing things down here and wrapping things up. Paul is so full of awareness that our thankful, joyful, patient endurance depends on the greatness of the redemption of Christ and the greatness of the reign of Christ that he launches into the greatest tribute of the supremacy of Jesus. If your mind and heart are captured with the greatness and the beauty and the worth of Jesus Christ, you will endure the hardships of this life with patience and joyful thankfulness. Wow. If your mind and heart are captured with the greatness and the beauty and the worth of Jesus Christ, you will endure the hardships of this life with patience and joyful thankfulness. Jesus is worth it. He's so good and so glorious. The psalm says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Friends, let's feast on Jesus. Let's experience all that he has, all that he is. Let's let's let our hearts be transformed with a Copernican-type revolution where we and our world doesn't revolve around us, but it revolves around him. Let us as a church, Grace Community Church, let us be all about Jesus Christ. Not just for our sake, but for the sake of our community, our neighbors. The salvation of those around us depends on us revealing Jesus to them. And that's because of Jesus in us. Jesus before us. Let's pray. Holy Spirit. as we've contemplated this deep and significant shift in our lives of making you first, Jesus, making you the center, making you the purpose, the reason that we live, making you our source of joy and power, you our source of being enough, you our source of, uh, of, of righteousness, You, Jesus, it all comes back to you. Lord, we need a revolution in our heart and our lives. We want to get out of the way. 
Lord, our depression, our anxiety, we confess it. We realize that, that a big part of that comes because we're looking at ourselves. We're looking at what we don't have, what we can't do, how big our circumstances are. We're looking at our worth, our value. We're not looking at you who gives us worth, gives us value. Lord God, our emphasis, forgive us. Our emphasis on this life, we've not celebrated you, Lord God. Our priorities have been out of place, Lord Jesus, even to the point where they lead our children, Lord God, to worship the idols of accomplishment, of material, material goods, of money, Lord Jesus, of athletics, of, of performance, Jesus. We've, led, we've paved their way to hell, Father. Forgive us. We want our lives to be reorganized and reset to celebrate you and to, to live in response to you for you, Jesus. We forsake the sa- Satan's lies of shame and guilt where we're watching over our shoulder of are we doing enough? Are we enough, Jesus? We look to you who died for us. You are enough. You are enough. You paid it all and you... Your love is enough for us. God, we need you. Help us, Jesus, as a church to be grounded in you, Jesus, to be grounded in your truth, in your word, that we not get pulled to different directions like as this culture desires, Jesus, but that we remain faithful, God, in you. Thank you for letting us be part of your family. Be drawn into your glory, into your joy. In your name we pray. Amen. Friends, we're going to close out our service with a time of communion. And this time of the Lord's Supper is a great time for us to reset our hearts and our lives. We come to the, the table here, and we're, this is the work of Jesus. Jesus He took your penalty. He took our penalty that we deserve. Hell in our place. His blood that was was shed for us, and the cup that we drink is his forgiveness. He paid it all, friends. You just, just sit in that moment and receive that he paid it all. When the thoughts come up and say, but what about this? No, no, you can't forgive that. No, you've got to pay more for this. No, no, no. He paid it all. Receive that. And as we received the work of Jesus, we, we, we receive, Jesus, I want you to be first in my life. There's these other things that have gotten out of order. I want you to be first. Forgive me. Replace these things in my life. Cleanse this out of me. Change me, Jesus. Your love changes me. Just as you have loved me, I want to love you with that same exclusivity, that same primacy. So this is both a a, a receiving and a time of cleansing as we take communion. In 1 Corinthians, it says this. Paul says this, For I receive what the Lord... From what I received from the Lord, I deliver to you that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So whoever eats the, the bread and drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be, be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So let each person examine himself then, and then so eat the bread and the cup. When we come and grab, to grab the, the, the body and blood of Jesus, these are symbols. Nothing changes up here. These are symbols that lead us to Jesus, to communion, to conversation with him. Let's examine our hearts together. And, and when we take together, we'll hold on to the elements, the, the cracker and the cup. We'll hold on to, to take it together in the end and receive him washing and cleansing you. Receive his work changing you. We'll have you come down these aisles on the outside and then go up the middle to return to your seats. And I'll have the elders go ahead and come on forward as we celebrate communion. And we'll, we'll start up front and have the aisles come out. And if you need to wait, I don't want you to be pressured. If you need to wait and come later, and you just need to reflect before you come up, feel free to do so. This is, this is about being real between you and Jesus, okay? Of course, if you need prayer too during this time, God's stirring things up in your life, we'll be in the back as well um, and come and, come and approach us for, for prayer. Let me pray over the, uh, our time of communion. The worship team will be playing, and you're welcome to go ahead and come up when you're ready. Holy Spirit, thank you for this reminder. You said, do this in remembrance of me. And we need that regular reminder. We need that regular reset, Jesus, to, to come back to you. We, 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 we left with enough time, Lord, we, we'll return to being self-centered. We'll, we'll return to being looking at... at trying to be good enough and, and, and being enough. Jesus, we come to this time to receive your work for us, to reset our hearts and our lives to be for you, to receive your work, God, Lord Jesus, your love for us, that we can respond and live with great joy. In your name we pray.